there's a huge difference in progressive overload on a day where you're working on volume versus progressive overload on a day that you're working on strength. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small-town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad we're hanging out today. We have a ton of questions to go through. This is like an ask me anything kind of episode where I'm sharing my experience around working out and macros and what I've been up to personally and how I kind of go about things when I'm working with clients, understanding that everyone is really individualized. So some of the stuff I may share won't work for your goals, your body, where you're at physically. This is a series of episodes we're doing on the podcast Starting with an episode we did February 28th and another one March 28th, they're labeled Workout Commitment Made Easy and Fat Burning Workout Macros. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely do. So the first episode, Workout Commitment Made Easy, was really about getting into the groove of having a consistent workout schedule. Spoiler alert, it took me six months to develop a consistent workout schedule where I'm able to go now to the gym six days a week. And I just actually pulled back on that to five days a week to just give my adrenals and hormones a little cool down. And then in the episode from March 28th, we were talking about fat burning workout macros, how to adjust your macros, what I was doing. I think at the time of recording, I may have been around 21 or 20, I think it was 2,100 calories. I'm now just shy of 2,600 calories. So if we don't get into all of that in today's episode, I'll definitely make a future episode about eating more, how I've gone about that, how I suggest doing this, the types of strategies that you can use to really upregulate your metabolism. So without further ado, let's just cut into it. We have a bunch of questions that you guys submitted. Oftentimes on my Instagram at Leanne Vogel, I'll just panel our community on what do you want to know about blah, blah, blah. And that's where I get these questions. Okay, so we're just going to run through all the questions. And then if you have follow-up questions, definitely feel free to follow me on Instagram and uh, watch for those Ask Me Anything little posts and you can submit your questions there. So the first question is coming in, um, talking about whether or not HIT is acceptable if you're doing arthritis, uh, suggestions for shorter workouts that have less HIT on the joints. So what I'm thinking they're saying is just like the high intensity interval training doesn't work because your joints hurt a whole bunch. And how are we supposed to work out if our joints are killing us? So 
I am by no means a personal trainer with a lot of this stuff. I would refer out and I definitely refer to professionals in the space. I can tell you kind of my experience, the conversations I've had with other professionals about this. So I'm not totally in love with high intensity interval training, mostly due to its impact on our hormones. Now, if we have arthritis, we need to kind of understand the root cause behind that arthritis. That's really important. Yes, as we age, there's going to be a little bit of more inflammation in the body. And I think that that, I I don't want to say it's normal, but it's definitely common to experience these things. And so I don't want to discount what you're experiencing through that. But generally speaking, arthritis itself should be investigated further to assess for any of the root causes that could be contributing So a lot of this has to do with mouth bacteria and not going to the dentist, having root canals, fillings, infections in the mouth, and just needing to go to the dentist and get all that checked out, preferably holistic. Then we have parasites contributing to arthritic conditions. I see that quite often. Mold and candida contributing to this also. Now, if this is something that's been going on for quite some time, it could be wrapped up in traumas that have you've experienced even earlier on in your life. And then last but certainly not least, Lyme and co-infections can contribute to arthritic type symptoms. So I think that needs to be assessed too from a root cause perspective. Now, with high-intensity interval training, there's so much more to the workout realm or the movement of your body realm I find the low impact type of exercises could be helpful. My favorite, favorite, favorite one has got to be swimming. Nobody cares what you look like in your bathing suit because they are so worked up about what they look like in their bathing suit that they are literally not judging you because they're so busy thinking about themselves in their bathing suit. So I highly suggest swimming. Now, swimming, ideally, like perfect world, swimming in the ocean would be like, or fresh water would probably be the best. If you are swimming in the pool, you just want to make sure that you're rinsing off really, really well because the chlorine can be a concern. But there are many things that you can do outside of high-intensity interval training to train your body when you're dealing with any sort of joint pain, arthritic issues. So another one specifically, if you're able to, is walking at a moderate pace. Now that might flare up arthritis and just even working with a trainer or looking up different activities that you enjoy doing. That's a big piece of this too. And I think sometimes we look on social media or like friends or whatever, we have this preconceived notion that in order to be our best healthy self, we need to be lifting weights and doing all the running and all the things. Finding something that you love to do is part of it too, if that's like pickleball or walking on the beach or swimming and those sorts of things. So I hope that that was helpful. Next question, what lifts do you do, Leanne? What is your your training program right now? Well, I'm gonna open up my training program and tell you, as this changes every about four weeks, I shift things up over and over, basically progressively overloading the body. And so here's what my current training program is looking like. Saturday, I do quads. Sunday, I do upper and abs. Monday, I do full body. Tuesday, I rest. Wednesday, I do hamstring and glutes. Thursdays, I do upper and abs. And then Friday, I rest. I love having Tuesday and Friday rest days. It was just recently over the last week or two where I've switched from working out six days a week to five days a week. I'm always just like adjusting my program. And so I'm just about finished a 12-week program 
And once I finish that, I'm going to be upgrading a little bit of the movements. And so the movements that I was doing 10 weeks ago are very different than the movements I'm doing now. And I'm progressively overloading my muscles with these things. So for example, let's go through like a flow of thought here. Deadlifts, right? We have, let's just say a classic deadlift with the bar and you're loading it up with weight and all the things. That's kind of like the third stage of the lift. But before that, perhaps it's a kettlebell deadlift. And even before that is maybe a light dumbbell deadlift or even working on no weight, a good mornings. And so you can see the progression or even doing a one-legged deadlift between going from the dumbbell deadlift over to the the full bar, like squat rack bar type of situation. And so we need to understand even with our movements as we're progressing through our training that that's going to shift and it's okay for them to shift. But the overall, what I'm learning here is that the overall structure of your program generally doesn't, okay? So since the beginning of going back to the gym, I really started taking on that training schedule of targeting certain areas. So quads one day, upper the next day, then hamstring glutes the following day, then upper the following. And usually my upper is separated into in between push and pull. Okay. And that can be different depending on how much time you have. Usually those training sessions for me right now with where I'm at in my training schedule right now are about 45 to 50 minutes. When I first started, they were 15, one five, okay? So really understanding that progression, I think that's what's massively missing is a lot of people talk about the program that gave them the glutes or the program that gave them the strong upper body, but not how long it's taken. And I really feel like that's massively missing. So I'll give you kind of an example of my, oh yeah, let's do this. I'm gonna load up what I did for my glute workout when I first started lifting in January. And then I'll share with you how that's shifted to three months later. Okay. So my hamstring and glute day when I first started was Romanian deadlift with a dumbbell using 20 pounds, a sumo deadlift using one dumbbell at 35 pounds, a raised split squat with the Smith bar. And I was doing the bar only a reverse lunge with the Smith bar only a seated leg curl at 50 pounds, and a step-up glute squeeze. Okay, so it's like when you take one leg and you're up on the step and you just squeeze and you kind of step up and you don't put that other foot back on the ground. Okay, so that was my initial hamstring and glute. If I remember correctly, that was around like 25 minutes or so at that point in January. So I just did hamstrings and glutes this morning. So you can kind of hear the differences. So I do a superset of sumo deadlifts with the bar that's the bar itself plus 40 pounds, okay? A kettlebell, yes, I'm doing the kettlebell single leg Romanian deadlift at 20 pounds, okay? So that's my superset, and I'm going back and forth and taking a rest in between. Then I'm doing hip thrusts. That's where you take the long bar and you weight it, and then you thrust. You can Google these things. And I'm at 70 pounds now plus the bar, I'm doing hip abductions at 80 pounds, dumbbell squat, forward lean at 45. So this is basically, I have the dumbbell in between my legs and I'm squatting down, but I'm really leaning forward to activate my hammies and my glutes, mostly the glutes. This one burns, 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 let me tell you. 
So that's at 45 pounds, seated leg curl at 80 pounds, and then hyperextension. This is basically where I'm like concaving my chest in and then extending to activate the glutes. So you can see how different, like they're similar movements. They're activating the same muscles, but it's shifting. Like you can see the progression, right? You can see that progression. I think in the seated leg curl, what did I say? I was at 50 back in January. Now I'm at 80. That's incredible. Now, another question that we had that I want to touch on is like, how long do progressive overload for? Because like, one day will I curl a thousand pounds? How does that even make any sense? And so with my seated leg curl, there will come a point where I am unable to increase it further, right? Like there's no way that I'll be able to leg curl a thousand pounds. Progressive overload is not just about the weight, but it also has a huge, huge, huge role with tempo, Okay, so for example, my seated leg curls, I'm counting, I think with seated leg curls, I'm doing three seconds down and then two seconds up. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm really focused on tempo. And every time I get started with my program, I get started with a specific workout, I'm checking the tempo in my program, I'm making sure that I'm actually counting and I'm getting better and better and better at that. So there are certain lifts, like for example, the bicep curl. I have not increased this at all. It has been the same 20 pounds since about November. It has not shifted. I don't feel like I'm ready to shift. When I when I end up shifting up to 25, my range of movement shifts, how I hold myself shifts, it just doesn't work. So what I really focus on is that tempo and my full range of motion all the way through, all the way through, making sure that I'm fully getting the most of it. Because oftentimes what will end up happening is I know at least for myself, I will ego lift and I'll be like, yeah, I did 50 pounds last time. I can totally do 65. If I'm being honest with myself, my range of motion or range of movement, I guess this is the right terminology, is not great. So back it off and be more intense in the tempo. You can also progressive overload with the break in between sets. And so if I'm really wanting to push it, maybe my break is 30 seconds versus 90 minutes. Now, this can go both ways, and it really depends on what kind of program you're doing and what kind of goals you have. Now, again, I am not a personal trainer. This is just a girl who's a nutritionist who likes moving her body. And, you know, I I trained for many, many years before I got super sick. And so I'm using that data. Although, let me tell you, 10 years out of the space, so much has changed with the types of movements and things like that. It is so cool to see the difference. And so I would highly suggest that you work with somebody on this and do your research on it and fully understand like how you can build your program to work for you. But what I've found is that there's there's a huge difference in progressive overload on a day where you're working on volume versus progressive overload on a day that you're working on strength. Example. So on my full body days, these days are kind of crazy. I do like a tri-set, which is like not a superset, but like a tri-set. So there's three workouts, goblet squat, good morning, pulse squat. Now this is a volume day. A full body day is generally volume based. So I'm doing like 15 reps, three sets, lighter weights, shorter breaks. Okay. So in that tri-set, I do the goblet squat, good morning, pulse squat. I wait like, oh, 
like 45 seconds and then I do it again. Whereas if when I'm doing my heavier sets, like for example, in the hamstring and glute section that we just talked about with the hip thrust to then hip and abduction, the hip thrust, I'm giving myself like a good 90 second break because that stuff is heavy. Like I have 70 pounds on that bar. I'm thinking I could go a little bit heavier, but I'm going to wait and be patient and really work on my tempo, really use on my work on my structure. Next time my plan is to get park myself in front of the mirror and really, really check out, am I getting a perfect shape in my back? Am I, are my feet directly under my knees? How can I improve that? That is progressive overload also. And so on those strength days, my rest time in between sets is going to be a little bit longer so that I can handle more weight than I would in a volume session. I hope that makes sense. So I think I answered both of those questions pretty thoroughly, but let me know if you have any more questions on that. Everybody says that when you start a ketogenic diet and the further you get into your ketogenic diet, the more free from hunger that you are. I never really experienced that. Yeah, there have been times where I just haven't felt like it. And for sure, I can fast longer than I could ever be in glucose field. I've been keto off and on since 2014, primarily spending about 70% of my time in a state of ketosis. And I can tell you my snack game is just as strong as it was when I was fully glucose fueled. The only difference is that I crave meats and fats, whereas before I could be found with maybe a little bag of popcorn or some sort of sweets. I really liked jelly bellies. So I don't think my snacking will ever change, but definitely the quality of the products and just the structure of what I'm eating has definitely shifted. I will always have a bag of macadamia nuts or a protein bar or Paleo Valley sticks in my purse. Now, I really love their beef sticks. I am obsessed with their garlic summer sausage. All of my friends know that the way to my heart is through a Paleo Valley meat stick, and many of them stock them in their homes. So when I go over, I have a snack. It is so sweet. Now, Paleo Valley just released their pork sticks, their maple bacon flavor. I've had the chance to polish off two full bags of them. I can tell you that they are absolutely delicious. So tasty. If you want to give them a try, just go to paleovalley.com and check out all their snacks and drinks. They have a list of their pork sticks. They also have a link to their grass-fed beef sticks, which I am in love with. Their superfood bars also are pretty darn good. So again, that's paleovalley.com. Use the code KETO. Once you've loaded up your cart, KETO, the coupon code, will give you 15% off your first order of beef sticks or pork sticks or superfood bars. Anything you can find on there is 15% off with the code KETO. So there was another question on not having a gym membership and there's no room for equipment at home. I doubt that only because I live on a boat where I literally have a two foot by six foot space. I have a kettlebell and two dumbbells and a yoga mat and that's all. Oh, exercise bands. There's so much that you can do even with a kettlebell. If all you have... You use it as a little a bookend. You can use your kettlebell as a bookend and have it as a beautiful centerpiece of your home. And then when you need to use it, you use it. There's so many different things you can do with that. Also, 
walking outside is totally free. So for the first six months of me working out, I didn't have a gym membership. I didn't want to go to the gym. I wasn't interested in the gym. I didn't even know that this was going to turn into what I'm doing now. I was just like, really, it came from a place of my mom getting diagnosed with Parkinson's and me being like, oh man, I should probably like care for my muscles more. (laughs) And that's really how it started for me. And so you don't need a gym membership. I think you have to be in the right headspace to go to the gym. And it took me six months to get into that headspace. Now I actually look forward to it. I actually just go because I know it makes me feel good and I enjoy going. And so you might not be there yet. I would highly, highly suggest not just focusing on cardio because this question was like, do you have cardio ideas? I think that probably what's best for most women is to lift heavy things and to walk. So walking is great. You mentioned that you had an injured foot, so maybe walking is not so great. Swimming is fantastic. Even doing like Pilates type of workouts at home can be helpful. You don't even need equipment for those. Sometimes you need like the little light weights and things like that. You don't even need to do that. I've done a bunch of different workouts, literally holding cans of soup or Tetra packs of coconut milk. So it can be done, especially when you're first getting started. The mistake that I made was doing random workouts. So I was following Nourish Move Love workouts, and I love the fire that she put in me to enjoy working out. I don't love that the movements are always changing, and I really didn't see any results after six months, really. It definitely got me into the groove of working out, and I'm thankful for that, but I didn't really see any results. And so my suggestion for you is if you start up with movements at home, that you just be consistent with the program. Like maybe choose five different videos that you cycle through or five different things that you cycle through so you're doing the similar movements. Yeah, so next question. I've been reintroducing healthy carbs for three months now. I'm up 12 pounds even while lowering the fat. How long does it take to normalize and start losing again? I've been keto for five years. Okay, this is a big question. It really ties in line with the eating more suggestions. So there are a couple of ways to go about this. There's really reverse dieting, and then there's the all-in approach. So reverse dieting really looks at the macros you're currently doing and increases your calories on a weekly, like on a daily basis by week by around 50 to 100 calories. So for example, if right now you're eating 1,200 calories, you would do that for the first week, and then the second week you would eat 1,300 calories, and then the third week you would eat 1,400 calories, et cetera, et cetera, per day. And so that's reverse dieting. Generally, this is reserved, and like I know that I experienced reverse dieting when I was in eating disorder clinic only because they had concerns that if I literally ate all the things I could kill myself, like my my electrolyte balance would be so incredibly shifted that I could die and it could cause a cardiovascular issue. So I know that reverse dieting is used in those circumstances, at least it was when I was going through treatment like 24 years ago or something ridiculous. Things that may have changed, that was quite some time ago. Was it that long? Oh my goodness, that's crazy. So yeah, that's reverse dieting and a lot of people will use that. The issue with this is that sometimes we don't experience full recovery because there's still a limit on calories and macros. Whereas the all-in approach is legit eating all the things. I have done that approach. I have found it to be 
absolutely momentously amazing. And I recommend that every woman at some time in her life do this. The issue with all of this is if weight is still in the back of your mind, then that needs to be fleshed out further. And usually with therapy or EMDR or some sort of form of therapy and healing, because if we have been restricting for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there's a lot of gunk in all of that that really needs to be unpacked. And if you are reverse dieting or doing all in, but you're still concerned about your weight, I know this sounds absolutely bonkers, but you can't. You can't with those methods because part of that is gaining the weight. So I'll kind of take you through my personal experience because it's always easier to share my personal experience than a client experience because I can speak to how I was feeling and all those things. And though I do give client examples, I find that sometimes getting that detailed isn't necessary for other people's experience or yeah, just not needed. So as many of you know, I had an eating disorder many years ago and I worked with a phenomenal coach that helped me more with a reverse dieting approach at first and then went into an all-in approach. And I was in that all-in approach for probably two years where I literally ate all the things, like all of the things. And at that point, I did gain weight. I think my heaviest was probably around 170-ish from like 120. So it was a significant amount of weight gain. And this was muddled in with some ketogenic diet where I lost a bunch of weight after the fact and I was okay with that. Things were good on that front. Totally fine. I find like I can maintain my weight pretty well with a ketogenic diet, but with the reverse dieting, that was helpful for me to get into the groove of thinking about eating more. And it almost feels like a safety blanket of like, Well, I'm eating, but there's still limits. And that's what I'm talking about is like, if you have a disordered relationship with food, which newsflash, many of us do, sometimes a reverse dieting technique is not enough to like fully heal your adrenals, hormones, all the things. Now, in my case, I did an all-in approach, like I said, for around two-ish years with a coach. We went through it all. It was really challenging. It is extremely scary, I will say, to just watch your body growing and not knowing if if it's going to stop. That's really unsettling. And for some people, it's just too much. And even the thought of me, like even hearing me talk about this could be too much for you. And it was for me at one point. And that's why I had a coach that specialized in this and worked with her for two years on this to really get out of the groove. Now, after I did that all-in approach, I kind of like defaulted to a ketogenic diet. And it wasn't until probably about a year ago that I started realizing, like, I don't think I'm eating enough. Like, I, my default is not eating enough. And while you might think, oh, yeah, and you're so lucky, that's awesome. I have the opposite problem. I wish I could stop eating. It causes the exact same result. So your metabolism will downregulate when you're not eating enough. And it can be really challenging to like upregulate that metabolism and then comes in the reverse dieting or the all-in approach again. Now, when it came time to start training, when I started training in August of 2022, I decided that I wasn't going to change anything with my diet because the most important thing that I wanted to do was just learn how to move my body more. Okay, so again, the episode that you want to listen to on that is the episode from February 28th called Workout Commitment Made Easy. So that's episode 410 if you have episode numbers 
on your player, you can check that out. So when I started moving more, I didn't change anything about my diet. Was that a mistake? I don't think so. I don't think I could have handled anymore. So I just didn't. (laughs) So it is what it is. I think if I could go back, I would definitely prioritize protein because when I started actually tracking and just like, hey, I wonder how much I'm actually eating. And I started just tracking what I was eating. I was eating like a ton of fat, like 180 grams of fat a day and like maybe 40 grams of protein and like 60 grams of carbs. It was just not good and it wasn't fueling my workouts well. So that's when I really started deciding to do this reverse dieting approach where I would lower the fat, increase the protein and increase the carbs a little bit. And so that progression for me has really just been like a couple grams in either direction of those goals every week. And so each time we talk each month on this topic, you can see that I'm eating more. And really the goal right now for myself personally, I don't really care about the number on the scale like at all. I really care about body composition. And I think most women would agree with me, like the lady that's asking this question, I've been reintroducing healthy carbs for three months and I'm up 12 pounds while lowering fat. Are you working out? What's your body composition like? I think the saying like abs are made in the kitchen is true, but unless you're working out, those abs are gonna not be there. (laughs) So you really need to recomp the body. And so that requires both movement and diet. And so ultimately, I don't care if the scale says 180 pounds or 140 pounds or 200 pounds. I really don't care. It's how do I feel in my body? And I think most women would say like, yeah, I don't care about the number either, but I've equated that number to how my body feels. And therefore, when I'm up five pounds, I'm totally freaking out because usually that's my body being like soft and not awesome. I will say, like, friend, the tightness that we want with our body takes years, years. I think every nutritionist, coach, person would agree with me that this is not an overnight thing and that sometimes weighing ourselves doesn't help the situation. So actually, one of the episodes that launched, a lady reached out to me and said, Leanne, I have a great trick for you because you mentioned you don't like to weigh yourself. You can put painter's tape over your scale, connect that scale to an app, and just send the app login to another person that can track these things. So that's what I've been doing. I jump on the scale every morning, the app gets the data, and I've been looking at it once a month and kind of seeing the trends. And it's like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, 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 down, 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 up, up, up. You know how it is. And ultimately, again, Do you care about the scale? Probably not. It's, do I have the little muffin top that goes over my pants? Or when I sit down, do I have all these rolls that push up on my breasts? Like, that's what we care about, right? And so a better indication could be measurements that you're doing once a month or a DEXA scan that you're doing once every couple of months, understanding that these changes take time. Like I I started working out in August. I fully expect to not see much in regards to changes until at least January of 2024. Like I've said, you know, January of 2024, it'll be a year since I actually started like lifting and taking things seriously. 
if by then I can start to see some changes, I'll be happy with that. And yeah, there are little changes like we went swimming, I picked myself out of the water really quickly and I was like, whoa, I just did that. Or I was boiling water for pasta, like chickpea pasta the other day, and I was just holding the pot with one hand and my wrist didn't hurt. Like those sorts of things you start to notice right away, but it's not gonna be this overnight moment. So when it comes to being up 12 pounds, when you start to eat healthy carbs, this is very loaded. Like how quickly did you increase the carbs? How many carbs are you having per meal? How much protein are you having per meal? So for myself personally, I eat four meals a day right now, like actual meals. I'm still fasting about 12 hours a day, which I'm pretty happy with just based on everything. And I try to balance my macros in every meal. So every meal is going to be balanced in the same sort of percentage, give or take, as my entire like daily allotment. Okay. Also, some people can be sensitive to certain types of carbs. So you may be more satiated with sweet potatoes than white potatoes or blueberries than bananas. And so um, that's part of it too. And also your movement. If you're eating a ton of carbs, you're not moving, you're not walking, you're not doing any of that, then that's maybe part of it. But also, what's your weight set point? And this is so individual for each person, can get challenging to answer, but I hope my really long-winded answer helped you understand. Okay, thoughts on fasted workouts. Oh, I go back and forth on this. So I like to think that there are two different types of people. One is somebody who lives in excess, and they've kind of always had like, high hormones, high every like higher weight. They have a propensity toward eating more and they kind of sit in one side. And then there are the other type of people that have a propensity toward lower hormones, lower weight, not eating enough, hormone dysregulation, those sorts of things. I think that the people that are more on the lower end of things probably shouldn't do fasted workouts as much as possible. There are a lot of influencers on YouTube that say, like, I fast in my workouts, but it doesn't matter because when I get home, it's not that I'm eating any less in the day. But you're still going to be catabolic during a workout if you haven't eaten, period. So do I think that you should never do fasted workouts? No. I think that somebody that's more on the depleted side of things, which I am, I, I lean toward that depletion. I... I've really tried to not do fasted workouts personally. I have some clients where I encourage them to do like one or two fasted workouts a week, especially with walking and those sorts of things. It could be anti-inflammatory. And if they have a lot of inflammation in their body, that can actually feel really nice to be like walking in a fasted state for long periods of time before you get home and have a meal. And that can feel like really, really good. So those are some of my thoughts on fasted workouts. I don't think that they should be done all, all, all the time for everyone. Okay, next question. My husband is keto and is marathon training. Suggestions on carb timing. Oh, I go back and forth on this too. It's so individual. I would say with a marathon, you don't necessarily need carbs depending on the type of body. So that's really an individual thing. If I were to start, I don't know if you would ever see me running again. I don't know. So much would need to change in order for me to be comfortable doing that again. I would probably choose, if it were myself personally, to train keto and run keto and do carbs after. That's probably what I would go for personally. 
How do I keep energy and blood sugar leveled off in heavyweight sessions? Well, your blood sugar is going, like your glucose is going to increase while you're lifting. And that's like normal. So you kind of don't want it to be level. So there's that. And if you're having issues with energy when you're working out, then there's something going on there and you're probably pushing too hard and you need to figure out what's going on. Is it your adrenals? Is it hormone dysregulation? Are you getting enough sleep? Is your HRV super low? Have you recovered from your last workout? When you go to the gym, you should have ample energy to do the things. I know that a couple of years ago, before I had addressed parasites, mold, metals, there was no way I could barely get out of bed sometimes. There was no way I could go to the gym. So if you're like just doing this heavy weight session stuff just to like get it in, but you're absolutely exhausted, you need to like rework what you're doing. Now for myself, kind of to look at the structure of things, I've chosen because I've never done this before. I have never trained eating a ton of food and focusing on carbs and protein that I wanted to see like, what will happen if I do this? That is healthful pursuit. That's kind of what I've always done is just, you know, what would happen if I did this? I did the training on keto thing. I found myself pretty feeling like pretty depleted when I really pushed it. And so when I got to this next phase of my training, I decided, okay, I'm going to like change up my macros and see how far I can take this. And so my timing, like generally, I'll kind of give you a flow of what my day looks like right now and what's really working for me. Okay, so most of the time I try to work out first thing in the morning because it just works with my schedule, except on Saturdays and Sundays I go in the afternoon. Okay, so I've already eaten a bunch of food before I go in Saturday, Sunday. But Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday are bright and early. I wake up around, I don't set an alarm. So if I sleep in, then I have to re-jive things because I just don't want to screw up my adrenals again. So I wake up just naturally or at six o'clock because I go to bed at 8.30. <laughs> okay, so that's part of it. So I wake up naturally around six o'clock. I take my probiotic. I take my thyroid medication. And then I wait a little bit. And then I usually have like a Lundberg rice cake with some almond butter and a Paleo Valley beef stick. That seems to be like my go-to pre-workout fuel. So by the time I get to the gym, I do my 15-minute walk. I do my like 10-ish minute warm-up. I lift and then I walk for probably, well, I stretch and then I walk for another hour. I get a lot of steps in. I usually do those on the treadmill because I just don't have time to do them outside throughout the day. I then get home and then I have my breakfast around like 9.30. Then I have like my lunch, usually around 1, 1.30, my mid-lunch. It's like another meal. It's a full meal around like 3.30-ish. And then my dinner around like 6.30-ish, give or take. It, it changes. And so I'm eating a balance of carbs, protein, fat, and each of those meals, except for my pre-workout situation, you know, you like I have one of the thin cakes a tablespoon of almond butter and the Paleo Valley beef stick. And that seems to just, that is the thing that has worked the best for me. And I've just determined that over the last couple of months that that's like my go-to. I put cinnamon on the top of the almond butter rice cake situation. It's just one of their square thin cakes. And I just have that and it works really good. And my digestion is fine and my energy is good. And then the rest of the day, I balance my macros perfectly well, not perfectly, but as perfect as I can throughout each of the other four meals. Does that make sense?
So I track my macros every three to four days instead of every day because I don't know about you, but I can get really nuts over the whole process if I'm doing it daily. But the twice a week tracking helps me stay on target, helps me learn my natural tendencies, especially when I'm left unsupervised and actually encourages me to change habits ongoing. This process has helped me feel out what it's like when I don't eat enough fat in the day. I'm sure you've had this feeling before too. The clock strikes like 7.30 p.m. You've had dinner a little over an hour ago and now you're in the mood for something. On days I'm tracking, this feeling is always because I don't have enough fat during the day. Always. I'm usually about 20 to 30 grams or 180 to like 270 calories short of my fat for the day with a very little wiggle room on carbs or protein. That's never a problem for me. So what do you do when you're hungry? You have 200-ish calories to spare, but they can only be mostly fat. Now, if you're hardcore like me, coconut oil definitely came to mind, but no, that's not where we're going today. We're going to talk about macadamia nuts. Instead of grabbing for that snack size boom chicka pop or those keto Oreos from Costco, macadamia nuts are the world's natural fat bomb, rich in monounsaturated fat, over 60% fiber, and has a potent dose of potassium too. This is the mineral that sensitizes your cells to uptake thyroid hormones so that your metabolism stays revved up. One serving of 270 calories and a whopping 27 grams of fat so you can hit your fat macro without having to eat another one of those cream cheese fat bombs you have in your freezer. No thanks. And let's talk a sec about monounsaturated fats. They encourage weight loss. They reduce pain and stiffness. They lower the risk of heart disease and stroke. They balance out LDL cholesterol and improve blood sugar control. Plus, macadamias taste delicious, but it's really hard to find macadamia nuts that don't taste like plasticky or they're really crumbly and dry and they don't have crunch. This is why the only brand I trust and prefer is House of Macadamias because they source directly from farmers and hand sort their products in the world's leading harvest facility in South Africa. I love, love, love the macadamia packs from houseofmacadamias.com. Each little packet is loaded with flavor. They have onion, sea salt, zesty salsa, chocolate, white chocolate, and white chocolate raspberry dipped dairy-free flavors loaded with those fats that you need without any funky ingredients. And did I say they're all dairy-free? That's incredible. Head to houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and check out their selection of fat-filled snacks. They even have bars too, which I really enjoy. And if you like what you see, use the code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. That's houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP. Use the code KDP20 for 20% off. Okay, next question is carnivore eating and strength training. Do you need carbs to lift? You do not. A really, really, really awesome human to follow for this is Judy Cho. She is my friend who wrote Carnivore Cure. She's brilliant. I love her. I disagree with her on some things, obviously, because I'm not carnivore personally, but she's really great. She works out. She's doing 75 hard at the time of this recording and doing really good with it. So I know it can be done. I'm not well-versed in carnivore enough to like really coach somebody through it. It's not something that I've really been professionally or personally interested in or have the capacity because it's just so different. You're, it's, it's like a whole different world. 
So I know it's possible, but I don't know a ton about it and wouldn't feel equipped to help you with it. When lifting heavy, is two to three minutes rest between sets optimal? Okay, so like I mentioned previously, uh, what I have found is when we're lifting for volume and we're not hitting absolute burnout on the lift, then we can do shorter rests. If we're lifting really heavy and our goal is strength, then longer rests. I found that the key to this is really your heart rate. You don't want your heart rate to go absolutely down to like where it started, but you definitely don't want to be like gasping for air, still struggling to like function, right? So I find that for me, for heavy lifts, when I'm going to failure on my lifts, I'll do enough weight that I get to around 10 or 12 reps until I just cannot even. And then I usually have to wait about 90 seconds give or take before I'm able to lift again. So it's around the like 90 second mark, maybe more. It's very rare that I'll do a three minute break personally. And what I've been reading, it it might not be necessary to go that long, but it really depends on how your heart rate is recovering. If at those two minutes, your, your heart's still bumping and you're having a hard time catching your breath, then you need to wait longer. Okay, next question is on creatine. Oh man. I love this stuff. So I've been using Laposmal creatine by Codage. Super love it. How I've been using it is adding it into my electrolytes that I bring to the gym. So I have two bottles. They're 32 ounces. I fill up one with my distilled water, creatine, and an element packet with some mineral drops. And then the second one is my BCAAs with the distilled water and some mineral drops. And over the course of me being at the gym for like two ish hours because I'm doing all my walking during that time too because oftentimes I don't have enough time to during do it during the day because I'm meeting with clients and all the things or recording podcasts and you get the idea. So I do my creatine on rest days, workout days, all the days. I'm at five grams. I find that works for me. Creatine is one of those things from what I've read, super well researched. You max out at five grams. You don't really need more than that. Most people need between three to five grams daily. You're not going to get enough through the diet. From my understanding, it shouldn't make you lose your hair. A lot of people have said that. I've been on it for three months. I haven't noticed a change. I used to take it many years ago. Never noticed a change. Sometimes you will get the creatine farts for a little while. I haven't noticed that. It's been fine for me digestively. I super love them combined with the element. It doesn't taste bad. I remember creatine tasting absolutely terrible many years ago. Maybe they changed some stuff because I literally can't taste it. And I really like the stuff from Codage. It's great. So that's what I do. Next question. What's the best way to combine keto and working out? I feel like I answered that super thoroughly in the episode from March 28th, episode 414, Fat Burning Workout Macros. So go and check that out. Do I need to track my macros to get an effective muscle burning workout? No, I don't think so. I think the most important macro you need if you want to build muscle is probably protein. (laughs) And I have yet to meet a lady that I've worked with that's eating enough protein consistently. And so, yeah, check out your protein. Make sure you're eating enough. I would say like a minimum of 25 grams per meal. I aim for about, (laughs) this is going to blow your mind, I know. I aim for about 45 to 50 in a meal. 
just right now with where I'm at and my goals. But I think a good starting place is 25 to 30 if you're normal. I'm just trying to push the envelope and see what I can do. So I think that's the most important piece. But no, I don't think you necessarily need to track your macros. For me, the reason why I'm tracking my macros is because my default is to not eat. That is my default. I just will skip a meal. So this keeps me on focus, on target, getting myself to eat, reminding myself that I need to eat, knowing what I'm going to eat. So I usually plan out what I'm going to eat the day before. So I'll sit down like after dinner usually and just map out the next day and I'll track it all out, get my macros to match. And then that's what I eat. And it just makes life so much simpler. Like right now we're going to end the podcast. I already got everything on my MyFitnessPal. My app knows exactly what I'm going to have. I planned that out yesterday. I super love that. I think it includes some beef chuck, which I am very pumped about. So I think we'll end it here because now I'm hungry thinking about what I have planned. So I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. You got something out of it. I will plan to make more of these if you like them. If you do, jump on Instagram, let me know, or you can send me a message by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact. I will see you back here for another episode. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 